Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, almighty God, in Jesus' name, that we have access to your throne, that your presence is always with us, O Holy Spirit. This morning I ask your anointing, God, on the preaching of your word. God, let the hearers hear. Let the, everyone be fed this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We are continuing with our series on the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And uh, um, today we'll be uh, talking about equipping the saints. Hallelujah. And next week, I believe, is our last one, uh, empowering the saints. So we have a mission statement here at uh, Living Hope Family Church. It's evangelize, equip, and empower. Or in other words, uh, um, you could, we could say we want to win the lost, we want to build them up as disciples, and then we want to send them out into the world somewhere to win more lost people and continue the process. So hopefully uh, that's the plan. That not, no, that not hopefully. That is the plan. <laughs> that uh, we believe we've been, uh, every believer has uh, been uh, charged with the Great Commission to go and uh, win the lost and build them up and help them to fulfill the will and destiny of God for their lives. So we are committed especially to the Lordship of Jesus. A lot of people are committed to a lot of different things. Uh, some people are committed to their favorite sports team. Uh, some people are committed to their, their job. Some people are uh, committed to their family, which is a good thing. But we're committed to the Lordship of Jesus. And we don't really know too much about lordship here in this country. We don't have lords, although there are people that lord it over others, but Jesus warned his disciples not to lord it over others. Whoever is going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven is going to be the servant of all. And a lot of people don't like being servants because sometimes you don't get thanked for being a servant. <laughs> sometimes it's just a demanding uh, occupation. I'll never forget uh, when I uh, began my carpenter's apprenticeship, I had to sign an indentureship agreement to remain faithful and loyal to uh, the apprenticeship program and the, uh, the, the union that uh, uh, did all the uh, work of putting together the program to help me learn how to become a carpenter. And uh, <clears throat> years later, I was talking to some of the uh, younger apprentices, and I said, do you guys know what it means to be indentured? No. Well, your homework assignment is to go home and look it up in the dictionary, what it means to be indentured. When I went to uh, the Fiji Islands, more than half the population were Indians from India. And the reason they were there is because the uh, Fiji, um, the king, or whoever you want to call him, the big chief of the Fiji Islands uh, back in the late 1800s, um, there was a lot of colonization going on, and they wanted to get protected. So uh, some people from America had gone over there to see about, you know, uh, incorporating the Fiji Islands into the protectorate of uh, the United States government, like they, uh, Guam and Micronesia. Uh, but it didn't seem worthwhile. The Fiji people didn't need any money. Uh, everything they need, they could just grow and make even clothes out of the plants that they had there. They could fish, they could farm. 
and just have a subsistence uh, economy. But the British decided to take over, and, uh, but the Fiji people, like I said, they didn't need money. So what the British government did is they brought indentured servants from India over to the Fiji Islands, and they began to work there, and eventually they settled there because the indentureship for them, they had to work for the government for seven years, and then they were free to do whatever they wanted and settle there. So I told the, uh, the young carpenters, the apprentices, you know, uh, indentureship basically means you're a slave, and they did not like that. <laughs> a slave? I'm not no slave. We live in America. We're Americans, you know. We're free. And by the way, happy Independence Day. Praise God. The Declaration of Independence and the Congressional Congress, or the uh, the 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 um, where they held the debates um, to um, you know form the Constitution and all that was held in the Carpenters Hall in Philadelphia. So thank God for carpenters. <laughs> Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Praise God. But we want to talk today about the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And I looked up in my Funk and Wagonals uh, Standard Collegiate Dictionary, published by the Reader's Digest Association, copyrighted in 1966. And culture, the second definition, is the training, development, and refinement of the mind, morals, and taste. I like that definition. It's training, development, and refinement. Everybody remember back in the old days, if you were discriminating, you had a discriminating palate. Uh, that was a sense of refinement. Nowadays, discrimination is a bad word, but it basically just means you can tell the difference between one thing and another and choose the better. Can you say amen? But I like the anthropological definition of <coughs> culture, and it is the sum total of the attainments and learn behavior patterns of any specific time period, race of, or group of people regarded as expressing a traditional way of life. How many know you believe, or we believe, that Christianity following Jesus is a way of life? Hallelujah. And this way of life of following Jesus leads to eternal life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But it also uh, goes on, um, to explain the definition, but that that way of life is subject to gradual but continuous modifications. How many know we're not there yet? We haven't attained fully, hallelujah, but we're on our way. And so the Christian culture is subject to gradual modifications as God shows people in leadership how we should be proceeding. For example, we had this pandemic last year, and we had to change the way we were doing things. And so now, because of um, the culture in the world and in the United States, we can reach out in different ways, not just person to person, but we now have all of this social media we can use. Praise God. So we're continually modifying uh, uh, um, the, our uh, way of life, and hopefully as the Bible says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. Thank God that he's not done with us yet, because I don't know about you, but there's still, I'm still a mess. I'm not, you know, 
100%, you know, uh, the, the ideal Christian, and I'm not the, uh, the 100% uh, mighty man of God that uh, I wish I was, but that God has designed you and I to be that mighty person of God. Thank God that he's not done with us yet, and he continually changes us. That's a good thing. Can you say amen? So we want to evangelize, equip, and empower. So let's go and look at our scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. And he, this is not God's name, Andy. Somebody told me one time, hey, didn't the little boy says, you know, God's name is Andy. Andy, what do you mean? Yeah, Andy walks with me, and he gave. No, no, no. That's not God's name. Now this thing seems to be, there's no pointer. Oh no, the laser's gone. Oh well, we'll just read it. He, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Some Bible scholars say there's four uh, offices here. Some say five. But listen to me. I believe it's five, and I, the reason I believe that is because, remember when David went after Goliath, he picked up five smooth stones out of the brook because Goliath had four brothers. Five smooth stones because he was going to kill the one, and the others were still there. Thank God that uh, he got the one, first of all, and then the army went at it, but praise God. He won the, the victory that day. Praise God. I heard, read a story of a couple of lawyers. The prosecuting attorney was a great big guy. He thought he had a wonderful case all locked up. The defending attorney was a little guy. And uh, one day, as they're coming into court, the big lawyer looks at the little lawyer. He says, what do you got in the briefcase there? He says, five smooth stones. <laughs> He won his case. Five things that God has given the church, the saints, those that have given their lives to Jesus. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. Some Bibles uh, call the uh, uh, shepherds the pastors of the local church. Our job as the pastors is to feed the flock. Our job is also to teach. And the reason that God has given those things is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what's the work of the ministry? It's the building up of the body of Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 6 to begin with. I was telling Pastor Wayne at the beginning of the uh, early, after we were done with prayer, you know, as I was studying this, it seems to me that <laughs> might as well just read the whole book of Ephesians, you know, <laughs> as part of the sermon because there's so much in here. But Paul writes, he's in prison. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Listen carefully. Paul, he's in prison, and he's telling them, he's beseeching them, he's urging them, he's asking them, you know, to put their minds on God, so to speak. And he says, 
He, he, notice he doesn't ask them, pray for my release from prison. He says, and I, and I think that's significant. He's, he's not saying, this is such a terrible position I'm in. I'm in prison. This is, oh, terrible, I'm in prison. He's not saying that at all. He says, this is the highest honor I can think of. I'm in prison for Jesus. Praise God. I was reading a story. I, I, I got a book the other day from A Voice of the Martyrs, 40 Days on the Front Line. And the name of the book is Where Faith is Forbidden. And there's this one young man in, in the, that uh, the, the guy writes about. He says, everywhere this man went, he thought, God wants me here. I got arrested. I'm in, in, in police station being interrogated. God must want me to reach out to the police officers. <laughs> I'm imprisoned. Oh, God must want me to reach out to the other prisoners. God must want me to reach out to the uh, prison guards. And lo and behold, people are getting saved. Praise God. And this, Paul says, he considered it the highest honor to be a prisoner for Jesus. And then he says, I beseech you. And I believe that even though this letter is written to the Ephesian church, I believe we can take it to heart for ourselves today. I beseech you. I urge you. In the J.B. Phillips translation, he's, it's translated, I beg you. In the New King James, it's I exhort or encourage you. He's telling us, this is important. This is what I want you to do. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. <clears throat> All of this, and you notice in verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Whenever the word therefore is in the scripture, you want to look and see why is it therefore. Because in chapters 1 through 3, Paul writes to the Ephesians, to the believers, all of the privileges and benefits of being born again and being brought into the kingdom of God. For example, in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says that in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and understanding. Hallelujah. It say, goes on to say that we were dead in sins and trespasses, but he made us alive again and seated us in the heavenly places. Hallelujah. Praise God with Jesus his Son. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. He set Jesus far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the, name to, in the age to come. Glory to God. He made you alive. Chapter 2, verse 1. Whence you once walked, but now, hallelujah, but God, in verse 4, rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. I had a thought the other day. I remember one time I was at a, a, a meeting, and after the meeting we had a, a dinner. But before dinner they had a, a social hour. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys that I, I know pretty well, he asked me, hey, Joe, you don't drink any alcohol? And I said, no, Jesus Christ set me free. And he looked at me like, what? 
He was so surprised that anyone would say something like that. But I thought about that yesterday as I was preparing some notes. I thought, you know what? Someday we're going to meet Jesus individually, face to face, and we'll have plenty of time to talk with him. Hallelujah. But Jesus was a human being just like you and me. He was a man that walked on the earth. He really did live. History testifies to it. Glory to God. And we're going to see him face to face. He urges, Paul says, that we should walk worthy in a manner worthy of our calling. The King James Version uh, uses the word vocation. I have a... uh, vocation, so to speak, of a carpenter. I do that for a living. I make my living that way. But that's just a side gig, as they say. My real vocation is to represent Jesus to the world, to the people I work with, to my neighbors, and my family. That's what our vocation is, is to be Jesus' ambassadors. Hallelujah. The word exhort is an interesting word. It is the Greek word parakaleo, and the word para means to be next to somebody, and kaleo means to speak. It literally means to speak to someone. In the Greek culture, Greek army officers who were in the midst of battle, this word is used to describe them. According to Rick Renner, the Greek uh, theologian, that the officers in the army weren't standing back somewhere else and saying, you guys go do all the work. They were right there with the troops, encouraging them and exhorting them and saying, you can do it. This is what you need to do. This is going to be tough, but we can do it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They were in the midst of the battle, encouraging the troops. It's an invitation also. It literally means, according to Strong's Dictionary, uh, vocation or calling is an invitation. Glory to God. Everyone is invited. What does it say in Isaiah? Oh, everyone who hears, you who don't have any money, come by and drink and eat and come into the kingdom. It's an invitation, an open invitation. Whosoever will, the Bible says, it's an open invitation Our vocation, our calling, is for everyone who will listen, who will follow. So how do we walk worthy? And this is part of equipping, by the way. How do we walk worthy? Uh Uh-oh, I think this thing's out of batteries. Can you go to the next slide, please? How do we walk worthy? Chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Well, it sounds easy. <laughs> sounds easy. But glory to God, <laughs> we're to support one another. We're to support one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to bless one another. Like the Bible says, we're to Think of others as more important than ourselves. Our culture, uh, you know, in the United States, we're independent. You know, we love our independence here in this country. You know, we have freedom. But unfortunately, 
our freedom, our liberty has been uh, corrupted and that people think that it means what the Bible calls licentiousness or lasciviousness, but mainly licentiousness. It's not the same as liberty, as you should all know. doesn't mean you can do anything you want. Liberty means there's a great responsibility, and that's what the kingdom of God is all about for us too. There's a responsibility that Jesus has touched our lives. Jesus has died for us and rose again from the dead, and he's coming back, and so we have a responsibility that once we receive Jesus, once we become born again, we have to do some uh, effort on our own to also continue to work and believe God to prosper his kingdom, to support one another. Hallelujah. He ascended on high, high above the very heavens. And it says, uh, Paul writes, <clears throat> Listen, as he goes on, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes, uh, I believe it's Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 9 and 10 in chapter 4. Excuse me. When, he, when, it means, when it says he ascended, it also means that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now he who ascended is also the one, or the he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so I thought, what in the world does it mean that he would fill all things? And this is the purpose of God and the purpose of the gospel, the good news that God loves us, that the whole universe, this is the J.B. Phillips translation, when he ascended, and that he might fill all things. Listen to how he translates it, that the whole universe from the lowest to the highest might know his presence. God's presence needs to be made known in the earth. Can you say amen? God's presence is, is going to be coming through us, through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes. God has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness but what the whole point of it is that God wants his presence to be made known. And when the presence of God is made known, the conviction of sin is made known, and also the conviction of forgiveness and righteousness is made known. That's the, the work of the Holy Spirit to convince the world of sin, uh, judgment, and righteousness, that, that uh, everyone's a sinner, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God is holy, and we are not apart from Jesus, that sin has been judged on the cross, and that the righteousness of God is available to every single human being who would receive it. Praise God. God's presence needs to be made known, and he's using us for that. That's the equipping of the saints. And so, to do that, he gave us apostles, and the <clears throat> apostles in the, old, in the New Testament, uh, some people believe that there was only the 12 apostles, and then that's it. Uh, other people believe that there are apostles who are still alive today, and that God is raising them up. But um, I found an interesting explanation of what an apostle is, and it's someone who endures having been endued with divine supernatural ability to endure and prevail in the work of expanding the kingdom of God, especially in new territory. They also are able to endure and joyfully succeed 
in extremely difficult situations. This position requires the highest level of commitment and work. There's uh, an idea floating around that um, a lot of people don't want to work nowadays because they make more money on unemployment uh, because of the American Recovery Act. Um, and supposedly when that money runs out, well, then they'll all go back to work. And it's kind of like work is a dirty word nowadays. But work is good. God designed work to help us. You know, even the work of a housewife is important. There's no work that's not important. But an apostle has the highest level of commitment to that. He also gave us prophets. Uh, who A prophet is a, someone who, uh, according to Strong's, is a foreteller of things to come, uh, sometime, uh, mainly, but it's also an inspired speaker. Uh, he gave us evangelists, usually a traveling preacher, such as Philip the Evangelist. I love that story of Philip the Evangelist in the book of Acts. God tells him, go out into the desert. Goes out in the desert. Go by that chariot. Goes up to the chariot. Chariot's going along. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. And if you know anything about uh, the story, eunuchs in those days, he's in charge of the treasury of Ethiopia. So obviously, the, uh, uh, he's very wealthy. And he's got a nice chariot. He's not driving a, 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 a Mercedes-Benz. He's driving a Lamborghini. <laughs> and Philip runs up, and he, and he hears him reading, and, and uh, always thought, you know, wow, that's cool. Philip can read his mind, you know. But in those days, everyone read out loud. That's how he could tell he was reading. And he gets saved. Um, I read a story this morning in uh, this day in Christian history. I believe it was 1939, uh, Mussolini and the Italian army invaded Ethiopia. They had been defeated a uh, long time ago by the Ethiopians, and uh, they wanted revenge. So there was some Christian missionaries who had gone into an area where this tribe worshipped Satan. It looked like Christianity, but they were really worshipping Satan. When the Italian army conquered Ethiopia, they demanded and transported those Christian missionaries out. Get out. They tried to stamp out. There was, they, they, by the time they left, only 48 people and the whole tribe had become Christians. Said, oh my goodness, the missionaries left. July 4th, 1943, they were able to return. Glory to God. When they came back, those 48 Christian people in that tribe had expanded to 18,000 believers. Praise God. I think that's a wonderful story. Shepherds, local pastors and bishops, literally the overseers, teachers, those, according to Matthew Henry, whose work is to instruct the people. The whole purpose of it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The work of ministry. What is the work? The word work, according to Strong's, is the Greek word ergo, not the Latin ergo, which means I am. But this is the Greek word ergo. It 
It's an occupation. It means to toil or labor according to Strong's. It's the same word. Uh, no, it's not the same word. But it's the same idea in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, where Jesus tells the parable of the king who leaves his goods to uh, some servants, and he tells them, occupy till I return. That's the Greek word pragmatonomai, where we get the word pragmatist from. It means to busy oneself with trading or some other form of occupation where you bring, bring a profit or you bring increase. An occupation, the work of the ministry, the work, the occupation of the ministry. So what is the word ministry? It's the literal, it's the Greek word diakonia, which means attendance as a servant, according to Strong's. So we are equipped by the, the, the five ministers. We are the saints and we're working, we're occupied in ministry, and ministry is to serve. Pretty simple. Can you say amen? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, there's a whole bunch of uh, verses there, but the main point is that we have been reconciled to Christ, and as a result, you and I who believe in Jesus have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're to try and win people to Jesus so that they would be reconciled to God, so that they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on and says, we are literally ambassadors for Christ. It's a high honor to be an ambassador. I read that uh, Billy Graham was asked to be an ambassador from the United States to Japan after World War II, and he declined the honor because he was an ambassador for Christ. More important to him than representing our country was representing the kingdom of heaven. So the work of the ministry is building up the body of Christ. Glory to God. I like how God makes things so simple. We are a pioneer church here. We've been here for seven years. I read the other day that the Springs Church has been there for 10 years. They're celebrating, but we're pioneering. So I know the Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. It looks like, you know, there's not a whole lot going on here right now. But believe me, and I believe God, that there's a great destiny for this church. Who knows what God's going to be doing in the near future and in the far future should Jesus tarry. But God has a plan and a purpose for this congregation building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not generally or not necessarily the, the local church. The body of Christ that Paul's talking about here is the worldwide church. One of the things that... Um, one of the things uh, that building up the body of Christ is, is coming to the unity of the faith, faith and knowledge of the Son of God. The maturity, verse 13, I believe that was, nope. Sorry, I didn't put it up there. But if you have a Bibles, <laughs> verse 13, building up the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith 
the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when I read that, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, you know, a lot of people think of uh, stature as a, you know, being a very important person, you know, having real influence. You walk in the room and everyone takes notice. Well, they should take notice of Christ in us. But remember, Jesus sadly said, you know, the world hates me. The world's going to hate you too. But don't worry, I overcame the world. So uh, it's kind of a paradox in my mind that, you know, God loves people, uh, but for some reason, a lot of people hate God. They don't want anything to do with God. There's all the fun taken out of, why would you want to be a Christian? There's no fun. Really? <laughs> I, I think it's wonderful to pray for people and see God touch them and heal them, heal their bodies, heal their minds, heal their marriages, heal their families, heal their finances. I think that's a lot of fun. What do you I mean, you know, I love to see people's lives turned around, get off of drugs, because I don't know about you, but if you ever talk to anybody, all the, a lot of these people out on the street, they're on, they're on meth. I the one guy I talked to, oh, I love it. Yeah, but it's ruining your life. You, he told me he, his family lives up here in Marana. We met him down there on Speedway at the gas station. He says, well, yeah, you know, my family's up there. I said, Think of it. You know, you're enslaved by this stuff. You love it, yes, but look what it's doing to your life. Jesus can set you free. I hope he got saved sometimes. But we should listen to what Paul also says about the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. We're supposed to become mature and not stay children. You know, kids are really cute when they're small, but they grow up, and hopefully by the time they grow up, they become mature. No longer children tossed to and fro, carried around by every wind of doctrine. How many know there's a lot of winds of doctrines blowing out there? All kinds of stuff. It's like, you know, somebody's come up, oh, there's this code. You know, if you, the, the Bible's got this code and that code, and these numbers mean this and that. It's a bad humbug. Just need Jesus. You don't need no codes. That's wonderful, you know. I'm glad somebody, you know, looked all that stuff up, but, you know, does it really help people get saved? <laughs> That's the important thing, getting people to have a relationship with Jesus. But we're to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up into all things to him who is the head, Christ. We're to speak the truth in love, verse 15. One translation says we're to hold the truth in love. Another translation says we're supposed to follow the truth in love. Some, I've heard people, uh, you know, trying to give it advice and say, you know, I need to speak to you this in love. Well, that's an alarm. That means that someone's going to... Uh, uh, basically tear you apart and say, you know, this is really, you're messed up, uh, but I'm telling you that in love. Well, why don't you try encouraging me in love? You know, say things like, you guys are awesome. God has changed your lives. God has touched you. God's not done with you yet. There's hope for you. God is for you, not against you. Praise God. Speak the truth in love. 
the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint or every, every person supplies according to the effective work by which every part does its share. Every one of us has a part to play in the kingdom of heaven. It's a privilege for us to be in the kingdom of heaven. When we play our part or do our part, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's supposed to work so that it grows by itself in love. Love is the key that brings the kingdom of heaven to the world. Listen to what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. I like that. God's into multiplication. God's a mathematician. Did you know that? He likes multiplication. His divine power has granted to us some things. No, all things. A few things. No, all things. Everything that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him or through knowing him who called us the vocation. He called us to his own glory. The whole purpose of life is to give glory to God, is to honor God and say, you know, uh, this is how I used to be, but God changed me and God's still changing me. He's not done with me yet. The knowledge of him called us to his own glory and excellence, which he granted to us by his precious and very great or exceedingly great promises so that through them you may become, not maybe, but you will or you have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. He has already granted us great and precious promises. He's given us everything that we need already. It's up to us to uh, delve into it, to look into it, to uh, you know, come together and worship. It's up to us. It's our responsibility to seek out. It says in the Bible that the hidden things belong to God. But the king searches them out. So the whole point of the matter is that God has already given us everything. It's up to us to go out. We just uh, had that Bible Believers Boot Camp Hopefully, uh, if you uh, listen to it, hopefully you got something out of it. Um, and I believe God is going to help you and I as we go forward to win people to Jesus. Hopefully you, you've drawn in some of the circles of people that have a target on them from the Holy Ghost. They got a target on them. I have a, a couple of guys <laughs> the other day uh, I think it was Thursday. Me and uh, my, the, other, the older carpenter, he's a couple years younger than me, and then we have a young man working with us. Well, he's relatively young. He's 36. And uh, the old one guy says something to him about, you know, life goes quick. And I said, yeah, next thing you know, you'll be, you're 36 now. Next thing you know, you'll be 40. Next thing you know, you'll be 60. And it's like, wow, what happened? <laughs> and then the other guy says, next thing you know, you'll be dead. And I missed the opportunity to say, yeah, but then when you're dead, then what? You'll stand before Jesus. And this young man has told me before, oh, I believe, 
um, going to, you know, weigh my good deeds and bad deeds. And I'm always tempted to tell him, you know, you're going to have to do a lot more good deeds. <laughs> but God checks us in our spirit so we don't say things that will offend people and cause them to go away from the searching for God. We want to try and tell them, sing, say things that will draw them to look to Jesus, the Savior, to look to God, to seek his presence, to seek his forgiveness, to seek a relationship with God. God's the best dad in the whole universe. Can you say amen? What a loving father we have that he, he, he did what we couldn't do in giving us his son. But he's also given us the power. He's given us the authority. Jesus said uh, in Luke, I send you out. He says, you have authority over serpents. You have authority over all the enemy. You have authority over sickness. Jesus promised that we'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He promised that uh, if we drink anything deadly, it will not harm us. He promised a lot of things for us. And it's on those, the basis of those promises that we can have confidence that wherever we go, God is with us. The Spirit of God lives within you and I. That, to me, is mind-boggling. <laughs> but it's true. It's what God says. If God said it, we should believe it. That settles it. It's okay, God says the Spirit lives in me. Praise God. God is big enough that He can put His Spirit in any, all of us, and it's the same Spirit. I don't understand how it works exactly. Maybe... Maybe God will let me understand that one of these days so I can explain it better. But what the bottom line is, is that you and I have been equipped. We have everything we need already. It's up to us to use it. Praise God.